I'm John Wing, and you're listening to Birchwood Podcast. So be alert. Sorry, y'all, I ain't got no haters. All I got is motherfucking players. We get money in motherfucking layers. Sorry, y'all, I ain't got no haters. Sorry, y'all, I ain't got no haters. All I got is maids and waiters. All I got is suits and gators. Y'all niggas lost, and I'm Las Vegas. Sorry, y'all, I ain't got no haters. Everybody love black ass dark Vader. You and your woman love to see me coming. Come through bumping, little kids running, chasing me down like the ice cream truck. These police, they never light me up. I'm that nigga, baby, hype me up. Fucking up bad work, they never write me up. They always hold me down and raise me up. And all these women wanna glaze me up. Never turned down, I'm turned up. You heard me, bitch, I said I'm turned up. Always on 10, always too loud. Always too hard for this bougie ass crowd. Even these haters, they love my style. So I don't know what you're talking about, huh? Sorry, y'all, I ain't got no haters. All I got is motherfucking players. We get money in motherfucking layers. Sorry, y'all, I ain't got no haters. Sorry, y'all, I ain't got no haters. All I got is maids and waiters. All I got is suits and shirts. Y'all niggas lost, and I'm Las Vegas. Your situation is ugly. Not mine, nothing but love for me. You on the grind, trying to turn a dub to a G, and I'm flying around the world doing shows overseas. I'm chilling with some females. I don't shop for bargains, fuck a pre sale. Too much game, trying to sell some. You know you can't hate on a real one. Too short. Ain't no nice dude, I'm like Ice Cube, run up in your white food OG, enjoying my life, still getting money when I'm on the mic 30 years later, still spitting flows, getting paid to call these bitches hoes I get love wherever I go, and I'm always trying to get some more, bitch Sorry y'all, I ain't got no haters, all I got is motherfucking players We get money in motherfucking layers, sorry y'all, I ain't got no haters Sorry, y'all ain't got no haters. All I got is maids and waiters. All I got is suits and gators. Y'all niggas lost, and I'm Las Vegas. Jackpot, think I'm in the crack spot? You a crackpot. I'm a slipknot, and I'ma get hot, and I'ma stay hot So take a back seat, nigga Maybach Boy, do what I say, nigga robot You kinda hit and miss, I'm the show shot Never sold out, niggas bought out You won't survive the fallout when I go all out Might ball out, but never touch no balls I ain't an athlete, I can't take no loss all I know is champagne in my eyes All this hate is what I don't recognize All I know is that L-O-B-E They beg me to drink a pody of O-E Low-key, bump like a O-D Niggas treat me better than Kobe Sorry y'all, I ain't got no haters All I got is motherfucking players We get money in motherfucking layers Sorry y'all, I ain't got no haters Sorry y'all, I ain't got no haters All I got is maids and waiters all I got is suits and gators. Y'all niggas lost, and I'm Las Vegas. Mike, I don't know if he was lying or not, but he never did the Tonight Show. Uh, and he might have just been trying to intimidate me because that's something you like to do. And and but I should also mention we were friends uh, till he died. We were very we were very close friends. 
as close a friend as you could be to Mike. Um, uh, but, uh, I mean, it, it didn't bother me that he tried to, if he tried to intimidate me, that didn't bother me. It, it bothered me that I, that I, I believed him that he was going to get it. And then, then it, in the, in the spring of 90, it started to get weird because I could not get the set to work the two times in a row. So he'd see me and it would work and then I would, all the pressure would be on the next one and then it wouldn't work. And it would, he would go, okay, let's make it better. Let's wait. And I, and I kept tweaking it. And then I did a show called uh, Improv Tonight or some such thing. And uh, I did a joke on that set uh, the other night. My parents had a huge argument about abortion. But uh, mom was right. It is spelled T-I-O-N. That was a joke. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's uh, your host. And uh, you know what this is? You downloaded it, right? Or are you streaming? Some people tend to stream if they're in a heavy Wi-Fi zone, baby. So why are, why are you here? Isn't that the question? Why, why are you listening to another adult human just speak? This is the first 20 minutes of this show is just a guy talking. You should be fast forwarding this right now. I guess we've, we've grown tired of fast forwarding. We do something now called skip. I don't know if you've noticed with Netflix and other apps that you may be using for your media consumption that when you hit the skip feature, 10 to 30 seconds, whatever it's preset to, that's about right. When you're disinterested in something, you should hit that little skip button. Maybe pepper your day with a few skips while listening to Birchwood Podcast with Shane Ogden. I'm a father, electrician, Comedian, podcaster, producer, oh my god, what doesn't this bald king do? Off the top, that was, uh, ain't got no haters. <laughs> That's how I've been feeling lately, man. Like, really, just I've embraced my life. I've absorbed everything around it. And I really feel like Neo in the Matrix, just to throw in something fun for all you nerds listening, that I've, I've completely come to understand my life and, and, and where I fit in it and how I'm going to be happy. That's always been the goal with me. It was just to be a happy person. And I truly, like if you look at my Facebook profile, like why wouldn't you? Uh, it's Shane Ogden on Facebook. You'll see underneath, you know, there's always like this bio part that you can fill out. And I used to have, uh, you know, electrician, show producer, father, comedian, all this stuff. Now it just says, lucky guy. Like I'm just, I'm a lucky person uh, for so many reasons. Uh, number one, like check this out. This is episode 40 of Birchwood Podcast. I cannot believe I've done this for 40 weeks in a row. Minus one week where I, I, I sent in the, uh, the, the doctor's note 
<laughs> I still recorded a little blurb to let you know I would be back the following week. I added a little music to it. I actually put a little bit of effort into that just to let you know I'd be back the following week. And here I am week after week. It's been 40 weeks that I've committed to talking for 20 minutes, just rambling. And I think I've kind of perfected it. I think I'm actually getting pretty good at this. And getting back to my uh, Facebook bio of lucky guy, I'm lucky enough that I got to interview from America's Got Talent and The Tonight Show and so many other things that I grew up watching Canadian comedy on television. And well, this was one of the gentlemen on there and, and he's gone on to do so many incredible things, including author several books and become an accomplished musician and appear on you know national television with millions of viewers and kill um you know he's been a comedian for 3 or 4 decades now and i i got to talk to john wing and i i think that I could consider him a, an acquaintance and what an honor it would be because honestly, man, I'm just pumped that I even get to watch the guy like to buy a ticket and to go sit down and watch this guy, um, do something at a top level. You know, you see someone that can, boy, that guy can, he's a good driver or, oh man, that girl can cut hair. You know, that's what it's like watching John Wing do comedy. It's just so natural and so polished and so enjoyable and fun, you know. And um, that's what John Wing's show was to me at Punchlines Comedy Club. That's my uh, my little business. I have a comedy club and it's it, on the east coast of Canada if you ever want to check it out, uh, punchlinescomedyclub.ca is where you can find it. And Punchlines Comedy Club on Facebook and at St. John Comedy on Twitter and Instagram. And here I am trapped in a commercial for my side business. Well, I think it's my main business, but, you know, I, I, I still maintain a day job. You got to have benefits for the family, right? Everybody's doing what they can. And it is Christmas, uh, almost, maybe. Um, if I didn't have a guest, that's probably what I'd name the episode. But uh, it is almost Christmas, Christmas almost. And as we are speaking at Christmas almost, I know many of you are running through Costco with your hair on fire and maybe some family members have fallen ill and well, it's just been a little extra this time of year. Maybe you're alone and divorced and maybe you've come full circle and realized that nobody wants you around and life sure would be sweet if you weren't in it. Well, I'm here to tell you at on this magical uh, moment at, of Christmas almost that um, that's just not true, brethren. You are... Uh, worth it and you are lucky and even if you have only a dog with you this Christmas 
which I've experienced. Uh, it will get exponentially better just around the corner. Just like everything has the, so much value in opposites. The sun goes up and it goes down. And it's light, which you like, and it's dark, which you may not like. It's warm, which you'll love, but it's cold and you'll hate that. So as everything has an opposite, if you're out there and you're feeling shitty, the reason you're feeling shitty is so that you can feel exponential joy. So I promise you, just like the sun comes up every single day, it will come up tomorrow and it will be good. And you'll, you'll, you'll look back at this hard moment in your life and, and, and believe me, this sounds crazy now that you're in the moment that you're in, but you will, uh, you, you'll be rewarded so much for going through what you're going through and it, it builds so much character and you're going to be, um, you're going to be always feeling joy, uh, in a different way after you get through this, I promise you. Because that's what I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling uh, really good. I got most of the main Christmas gifts uh, purchased. The bills are paid. Um, I'm happy. I'm good. What? I'm good. Aren't you good? Oh, getting back to this Ice Cube uh, thing. I just love this song. Ain't Got No Haters with Too Short, which he spells his last name uh, with a dollar sign. You know, it says it's it's short. So he's, he's too short. So he's Mr. Short, right? So two is his first name, too short. Two is his first name. And then short is his last name, right? So I could uh, arguably call him Mr. Short for short. <laughs> but short starts with an S with two lines through it to indicate that it's cleverly not just the word short, but also the capital S in the word short is also a dollar sign. I think we owe Mr. Short a little bit of gratitude for making his last name so darn cool. Thank you again, Mr. Short. Too Short from the song Ain't Got No Haters. He was featured in that, of course, an Ice Cube joint off the album Everyone's Corrupt. Which is a really positive way to look at things, isn't it? Not really, you know, like, I mean, with that kind of attitude, you'd think things would happen like uh, oil companies owning entire cities and, in fact, entire provinces in Canada and control the media. <laughs> that, that'd be only if everything were corrupt. Thank God it's not. I, uh, I just love eating at Irving Big Stops. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so thank you for listening. Thank you so much at th this holiday season. I hope that you and your ugly Christmas sweater parties that are totally fun and funny because it's like irony, right? You're all wearing ugly sweaters. <laughs> all the couples around the world will laugh, but you're dead inside and you know it. Oh, just keep drinking eggnog and rum and smiling. You'll be blacked out, tired, drunk soon, and all will be well as your day is reset 
with a cup of hazelnut vanilla coffee because that's all you had left in the cupboard. <sighs> Almost Christmas. Anyway, enjoy this interview with hilarious comedian and author and writer and musician and multi-talented as seen on America's Got Talent, John Wing. So, here we are. John Wing, how are you? Fine, thanks. Thanks for doing this interview. My pleasure. Um, I read your Wikipedia page, and it, it talked about your books. I didn't know you were an author. I've known you for a long time, and really shows how unobservant I am. <laughs> oh, I don't. It's not something I, uh, I talk about much on stage. So right, right, yeah. Just another aspect, you know. You you really do have a lot going on. You're a musician. You're a comedian. You are an author, and I know you're not surprised because you know you know all the things you are. <laughs> Was there a, a a path that you like the most? Like, is comedy your it's certainly your specialty? Is it your favorite thing out of all the things you do? Um, I like doing comedy a lot. As I've gotten older, the um, the requirements of travel and uh, being away from home that that are necessary to do comedy, I find way more difficult. Um, so, uh, and I, I happened to be home for six weeks a few years ago, two or three years ago, yep. and uh, sat down and wrote a draft of a novel. Um, and I thought that was the best thing, and I. I, I would enjoy going. I would enjoy being able to do that, but the, the, nobody wants to publish the novel, and uh, so far, and so I'm working on a second one. He he he. Um, <laughs> Is that but, the title? He he he. No, it's um, <laughs> the, the first one was called A Car to Die For, um, and the second one is called The Grave Digger, and they're both about a. A lawyer in a small town in Michigan uh, who gets into various problems. So but it's a, it's a fictional tale. Yes, well, sort of. Yeah, it is ostensibly quote unquote fiction. Yes. <laughs> and you're, you're being. I feel like you're being a little bit facetious. I feel like there may be a ring of truth in this somewhere. Well, my dad was a lawyer, and I I'd always thought about writing a book about a, a sort of mystery stories in which the lawyer isn't necessarily a tough guy or anything, but, but he sort of, uh, he's intelligent and he, he solves little mysteries around the town he lives in while, while dealing with various cases, etc., etc. So uh, first one was about a burglar who comes to him and has... Uh, uh, has a lot of people in town worried because he's stolen a lot of stuff from a lot of rich people and blah, blah, blah. And um, the second one is about a, there's a serial killer in town uh, killing children. Um, and uh, the lawyer gets involved in sort of the periphery of that case while he's also attempting to play a part in the local little theater spring play. So, and it, it's a, more of a meditation on, uh, uh, you remember in Pinocchio, the cat who pretended he was blind for so long that he went blind? 
I didn't it's remember. Like, oh, well, the, something I always thought about. Um, and it's so he in the play he's playing an insane guy, and he's got a client who may or may not be insane, and so it's like Hamlet. It's like, are you crazy? Are you not crazy? Are you faking it? Are you not faking it? How long do you fake it before it becomes real? It's like that. It sounds suspenseful and very late. I hope so. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm uh, you know. I'm a it, novice at writing novels. But you are an author. That's that's something that I can't say that I've ever met an author. Really. I also have a really. You've never met an author. Well, I mean, how, how old are you? <laughs> uh, I mean, I've probably met them and not spoken to them about their work. I uh, I also have a book of poems ready to go that I'll be sending out to some publishers. Um, I've been publishing my stuff with small Ontario presses most of my career. Never made much money, but you don't do it for money. And I've been trying to get mm, bigger places interested for these new, the new ones I'm doing. But um, so far, nobody is. But hey, hope springs eternal. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it's a tough nut to crack. All the all the entertain, all the arts. It's tough, tough to get funding. Tough to get people sure. interested. Um, you certainly don't have any problem getting people interested in your comedy. No, uh, lucky me. Lo- man, um, tonight show, six appearances. Yep. Um, Just for Laughs, Winnipeg Comedy Festival, all the big ones. Yep. You're there. Well, I was there. <laughs> so is there, are there any moments in those big, big moments? I mean, certainly uh, America's Got Talent gave you a lot of exposure. It did, late. A lot of late exposure, that's true. It was really cool. I loved the little kind of documentary minutes they did and layered it with your comedy <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. I really love those moments. It was really cool to see because I had opened for you years ago and to see someone that I felt like I knew, I know we don't know each other, but you see someone you work with as a comedian and you go, oh, I, I met that guy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he's like, oh my God, Radio City Music Hall. I do that too, yeah. yeah and Howard Stern's talking to him right now. Yeah, and Holy City. shit, I wonder how John feels. You know what I mean? That was all going through my head. Is it, Was that sort of the biggest moment, do you think, so far in your career? What, what, do, you, what do you think no, was that? No, uh, I mean, it was big. Yeah, but it was uh, no. There were too many things around it that uh, made it less than real. Um, uh, the biggest moment was the first Tonight Show, and next to that, it was the second Tonight Show, which I did with Johnny Carson. Those can, were the two big moments. Can you tell me about that? Um, what What was well, it like being on the Tonight Show, and who was hosting at that time? It was Johnny Jay, Carson, Jay first, Leno, the first time. <laughs> Jay was guest hosting. What happened... Oh, he was just guest hosting then. Yeah. Um, the guy saw me in uh, spring of 88. Uh, came to L.A. and I, I've been on the road pretty solid at that point for five, six years. And I'd come off two, 86 and 87. I did 300 shows both years. Uh, 300 and... 12, I think, in 87, a lot of shows. And um, uh, so I was pretty hot. I knew what I was doing, blah, blah, blah. The guy saw me and liked me for The Tonight Show, but then he started tweaking my show, my set, 
it's only a six-minute set, but he's tweaking it, and he's, I don't want Johnny to not, not like it, and this and that and the other, and, and, and it, it was like a house of cards, you know, that once you started taking little bits of it away, it all fell apart, so after, so that was spring, so in the fall of 88, he said, write a new set, Holy. and then come back to me, so that took me uh, about a year to get a new set that I thought that he would uh, like. So I wrote the set, and then I came back to him a year later in 89. And then it took a year to get him to see, because he had to see the set really work two times in a row, maybe three. The memory is it's a long time ago. The expectations um, were high. Well, I kept thinking I was going to get it. And then there, there were all these things like... Um, Mike McDonald, uh, who was uh, now deceased, a comedian uh, who had come to L.A. at that time. When I got when I started in Toronto, Mike was the big guy, and, but he'd never translated real well on television because his act is so physical. And uh, he was trying to get the Tonight Show too, and other guys were trying to get it, and and it became this weird competitive thing. I remember we were in Toronto one night, my wife and I, and uh, on our honeymoon, I think, and uh, I ran into Mike uh, uh, in, at Yuck Yucks, and, and Mike sits down and goes, hey, man, I got the Tonight Show, I got it. He's just waiting for the date. It's all set, blah, 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 zip, zip, boom. And uh, when he left, I was saying to my wife, no, no, I get it. He doesn't get it. I'm closer than he is. <laughs> it's so funny to hear you say that. Um, well, I was really young. I was 30 years old, and I was really ambitious. And and everybody had stepped ahead of me, and, and everybody had mis mis uh, mis uh, not, not everybody had underestimated me. Uh, there's I'm working for a guy in a couple of weeks who used to say to me, "You were the only one I was wrong about," because uh, he didn't think I would make it when he first saw me. And and I, and I always looked at it as a long stretch of time rather than a short stretch of time. I looked at it as a whole career, and look, as an, a long arc. And uh, this was a huge thing, and, and I wanted to do it before any of my Toronto peers. Um, and, I, and I was extraordinarily competitive in those days. Um, anyway, Mike had, I don't know if he was lying or not, but he never did The Tonight Show. Uh, and he might have just been trying to intimidate me because that's something he liked to do. And and but I should also mention we were friends uh, till he died. We were very we were very close friends, as close a friend as you could be to Mike. Um, uh, but uh, I mean, it, it didn't bother me that he tried to. If he tried to intimidate, me, that didn't bother me. It, it bothered me that I that I I believed him that he was going to get it. And then. Then it, in the in the spring of '90, it started to get weird because I could not get the set to work the two times in a row. So he'd see me and it would work, and then I would all the pressure would be on the next one, and then it wouldn't work. And it would, he would go, "Okay, let's make it better. Let's wait." And I and I kept tweaking it. And then I did a show called uh, Improv Tonight or some such thing, and uh, I did a joke on that set. Uh, the other night, my parents had a huge argument about abortion, 
but uh, mom was right. It is spelled T-I-O-N. That was a joke. <laughs> and I don't do it anymore. But uh, And I did that joke on the improv tonight, and I was in the at the improv comedy club in Hollywood one night, and Jay Leno was there, and he saw me, and he called me over, and he told me how much he liked that joke, etc., etc., etc. And he said, uh, why don't you come and do the show when I'm guest hosting it on a Monday night or something? And I said, yeah, sure. Talk to the guy, you know, talk to my guy, talk to your guy. So they finally booked it with Jay for September the 18th, 1990. And uh, I was, I mean, you'll you'll never be that nervous. Now I'm I'm 60 years old now, and I get up. When I, before I go on stage, I have to I have to do this warm up where I slap myself in the legs really hard and in the chest and in the face to get my blood flowing before the show. I got to get my blood up. But in those days, you could do it all in your head. You know, you could just be nervous and do it. And my heart was beating so fast when I walked on stage. I thought, if I have a heart attack here, it'll be really embarrassing. Because it's literally, uh, it's literally uh, a six-minute exam. Uh, done live, a six-minute oral exam done live uh, in front of 15 million people you've been studying for 10 years and your whole career's on the line. That's all it is. <laughs> That's um, everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and it went great. And weirdly, this is the weirdest part of it, uh, after The Tonight Show, the set never did anything but great again. The set, it was really spotty till I did the show killed on the show and then it killed forever after that and then a year not quite a year later uh eight months later spring winter of 91 i did it with johnny that must have been incredible meeting johnny carson <sighs> didn't meet him <laughs> well, I mean, being on his show. You were on his show. <laughs> Didn't actually meet him. Uh, he gave me the, the okay sign after I did the set. He liked it, and but I never met him, never made eye contact with him, never got closer to him than standing on the out on the stage with him at the desk. And I never looked over. Well, you know, I've heard some stories about him, so maybe that's for the best. I met Burt Reynolds that night. <laughs> you did? That was pretty cool. <laughs> Smokey and the Bandit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, that, that the first Tonight Show was big, really big. And um, so I started in 80, and I did the show in 90, and the comedy boom was just starting to fade in the early 90s. And in the mid-90s, I got into cruise ships, and I'm still doing cruise ships, um, and I've done some TVs, and you know I did America's Got Talent, did a few other things, and I do some comedy festivals. And I'm if I live another ten or twelve or fifteen years, I might get a Netflix special based on Wow, look how old this funny guy is. The guy's still funny. He's really old. Look at that. You know, so that type of shit might happen. So that's the arc. Well, you, you try and look at it. You, you really now, you just look at it as every few years you have to reboot the show and find new things to talk about. Uh, what do I want to be talking about? What, like I wrote two, 
I wrote two sets for Winnipeg Comedy Festival in the last month, and <clears throat> I was showing them to a comic the other day, 10-minute sets on topic. One animals, the topic was animals, and the other topic was technology. And I showed the animal set to a guy, and we were tweaking it. And after we were tweaking it, I realized it's not me. It's not, it's not in my voice. I'm not really talking. I'm talking uh, like a non... I'm talking dispassionately about something I, I'm interested in, but not not feeling and uh, not experiencing. And the other set is a story about going to the Apple store to have my iPhone fixed. And I, I did that and I experienced it and I feel it. And I realized the other day that uh, I had to scrap the animal set and go with the technology set because that set is my voice and that set it. And last night on, at your club, I tried it for the first time and it worked. Although I I looked at the notes afterward and I forgot so much stuff from it that I got to put in. I forgot the bit, the joke that started it. I was lying in bed one night and I was thinking about the idea of, uh, oh no, that was the other set. No, that was the other new bit. No, no. I did forget some you stuff. You forgot about forgetting. No, no. I, <laughs> no I, I, last night I tried two new bits and I opened yeah. with one and I did the other one in, in the first, I started the other one within five minutes of the sh uh, five or ten minutes early on so I, I opened with this first new bit and, and in the bit I opened with I had started writing that bit I was thinking about it one night in bed on a ship and I came up with a joke and that joke I went oh my god I, I okay now and then I went back and worked from the beginning to get to that joke and last night in do doing it for the first time I completely forgot to do that one joke. But were there uh, takeaways from it that you really enjoyed? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, both bits yeah. last night, although they, they need work. I mean, if a You're going to do them again tonight? Absolutely. Nice. If a bit comes up perfect the first time, you probably didn't write it very well. Um, it's got to... you got to do it. And now i got to figure out, too. I'm going to do it tonight, and uh, I'll probably do it Sunday night. I'm, I might do the technology bit Sunday night, there's a story show, and I'm considering uh, attempting it for the story show, um, which is, uh, you, you're not supposed to be funny, necessarily. You don't have to be funny, uh, but you tell about a 10 to 12 minute story. So I've been asked to do that. I'm doing it for nothing. That's this Sunday night? In Toronto, yeah. In Toronto, uh, wow. So, uh, so you're, you're spending some time in Toronto on your way back? Yeah, I had an idea to, I had an idea I had these two dates uh, with 10 days in between in Canada, and I thought, well, uh, since it's Christmas party season, I'll present myself, since I don't get a lot of Chris Canadian Christmas parties because I live in L.A., so I thought, well, I'll say I'm in Toronto. I'm in Toronto for 10 whole days, people. Come on. Yeah. And I got nothing. I got some offers, but nothing that ever, nothing that worked out, and I ended up booking three free shows. And that's at the top of the Canadian comedy game. We all experience that. I mean, well, I, I myself, I'm, I, you know, I'm opening up for Mollinger in the theater in uh, March. I'm very excited about that. Yep. I think it's a great opportunity for me. 
um, mm. because I'm this guy that's been in and out of comedy for years because of because uh, of kids and stuff. Sure. Believe it or not, I, I love my kids and I wanted to stay around for them. And, well, that's fine. You know, you make choices. And now I and now I find I, I'm at a very interesting part of my life where I get to interview some of the top huh. comedians and I also get to do comedy locally and uh, and we've got this great club so there's lots of things to be excited about I noticed you got really excited the mo- I think the most uh, happy you looked in this interview was when you were talking about uh, your writing process you know you, you were very excited about uh, remember like thinking about how those bits did on stage and there really is a, an editing process to, to writing comedy isn't there well, um, yeah, if you're, I mean, if you're writing a joke, like I wrote this joke, uh, I remember black and white TV and, um, we had one TV in the house. My parents called it the idiot box and now we have the idiot phone, but idiots are really long words. So we just call it the iPhone. So I wrote that joke <laughs> yeah. and a friend of mine. So I told it to a friend of mine on a ship, and he said, oh, my God, that's going to kill. And it did. It killed. So, okay. So I put it in my how old so, I am bit, yeah. and it worked fine. But but I but I never found uh, a regular spot for it because that bit is, well, it's not finished, but it's, that bit is, is fairly static in that I tend to do everything in a particular spot there. So what I would do is every night that I do the bit, I would... I would remind myself as I went into it, do the iPhone joke somewhere. And and I, and, and each night I would do it in, a, in one place or another and try and find, is there a, the best, what's the best place to do it in, right? And then I wrote this technology bit. And I realized that's, it's the opening. It's the, because because you want to start hot, you want to get a nice big, uh, big laugh off the top. So I started with it. Are you old school, legal pad, pen? Uh, do you do laptop or what do you... How do you write um, your stuff? No, I, I'm all over the map. I, I do laptop. I do pen, paper. Napkin. I, I do. I no, I don't do napkin or stuff. I don't do that stuff. I do pen and paper and or laptop. Generally, it's, <laughs> you're you're not a fucking peasant. You do. No, no, you're not gonna write no, on no, a no. napkin. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just uh, you do. You do. You, usually, I started on I start an idea on on paper and then I move it to the computer. Usually, but anyway. So you're looking for a spot for your technology joke, you're right? So I so I wrote the technology piece because you're giving yeah, topics by Winnipeg. So I wrote the piece and, I, and then I realized, oh, that'll work there. And then I wrote a joke in the piece. Oh, I'll tell you the joke I started with. This was the joke I started with. I was lying in bed, and I was going through how. Uh, oh no, that's the other one. I'm 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 so I'm writing so many bits right now. No, that's the other one. So don't worry about it. Okay, so no, so. I, I was writing a bit, and I came up with this idea, um, which was, uh, my wife said no to me, and so I called the IT guy, and I said, my wife said no to me, and he said, have you tried turning her off and then turning her back on again? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to almost spit in your and, face. Uh, <laughs> I realized, that's, that's as my soon favorite. as I wrote that, as soon as I wrote that, I thought, oh man, that's that's... Yeah, Gold, but, but it's got to. But that joke is you have to be so specific. You can't say my wife turned me down, because you're going to say turn two more times, turn on, turn off, or turn off, turn on. So you you got to say 
So you got to have a, a, something that is clean, mostly. Like I, I want to be able to do it on ships. So you got to. It's got to be clean, and it's got to. It's got to signify she wouldn't have sex with you, and it's got to. Uh, so clean, wouldn't have sex with you, and it's got to be totally obvious that that's what she said. That's what it, you know what I mean? So, so you don't gotta, want them thinking about whether it is or it isn't. You want right, them you have to know. To, you have to, it has to be definite. It has to be clean. And you can't say turned down. And you, Right? So there's so many so many aspects of that first part. So many nuances. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I do it. And one night, um, uh, a couple of, uh, like a week later, a week after I wrote it, I'm, I'm on stage, on a ship, first show. I'm doing two shows that night, and I realized there's a joke in the show that I wrote for America's Got Talent, because I had this joke in America's Got Talent that I really liked. Um, uh, my wife can think of something, and it happens, right? Uh, she'll come in and say, you know what I was thinking, and boom, it happens, right? <laughs> like and that, that doesn't work for me, uh, which is a good thing, because... Uh, uh, if I thought of something and it happened, the doorway would just be a pile of hookers, right? <laughs> that was the original joke. And they told me I couldn't do it. Why? On, on I'm America's kidding. Got Talent. I, they said, yeah, that's too edgy. You can't do it in America's Got Talent. So I, so I had to walk around all day and I called my wife. And I, called I bet her. Howard was all for it. But. And I, called my, I called my wife. I called my daughter. We had a little conference call and I said, okay, I need, I need this joke. I need, the, I need this to be a clean joke. So, um, uh, so they really do support you, your oh, wife sure. and kids. My, well, like, my, they're my, your fans. Both my well, my youngest daughter is trying to be a, a comic, sort of peripherally. Cool. And my old, older daughter lives with a comic <laughs> in Toronto. So, and my older daughter is the one I, I although I now go to both of them when I have a joke. If I'm not, uh, and my wife too. Uh, your daughters are both comedians. No, no. One lives with a comic. One lives and with one, a comic, and one is, one a is a doing comic. some open mic. Okay, cool. She's not strictly a comedian yet. Um, but my wife is also great. The, the, we watched a guy perform last night, a local guy. And uh, he didn't have a great set. And uh, all his his problems, I thought, were all about angle. He would, he would approach a joke from the most obvious, most basic angle. He never, he never went around... Uh, he never uh, entered the circle in any other from any other angle, because a joke is like a, a dot with a circle around it. And and you, you, I don't know if you've ever seen, have you ever ice fished? No. Well, when you ice fish, you can look down sometimes and see the minnow down there, and you may not actually see the minnow, but you can see which is the bait. Yeah, yeah. you can see fish in a circle surrounding your minnow and they're taking shots at it one who's going to grab turn, it yeah, right yeah they're taking shots at it and that's what a comedy bit is uh from you have to try it from all the angles and one of the angles opens it and makes it makes it opens the bit up and, and shows you its possibilities and most of the angles don't right and his problem i thought was he was always going at it from a very from the, the first angle he thought of, he never tried anything else. He never tried a way to get to a joke. So, so that's that was what I was telling my wife and daughter that night. I, I have this joke. I can't do the dirty version. It has to be a clean version. So I came up with, and, and on the phone, I came up with it. They didn't. 
but but it's always good to talk to people. That's why you, you do it. Uh, sometimes they come up with sometimes the joke turned out to be my wife thinks of something and it happens. That's a superpower. I don't have that power. I know because the other night I was alone with my wife and I thought of something and she said that is not happening tonight. <laughs> so so it became it, 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 and I never used the hooker joke again, even though yeah. the hooker joke is really funny. But yeah. this joke was it made funny. me laugh. And bust, right? They know, both they both they're both funny, sure. but this one's better because it's clean and yeah. it's, and it's solid and it's really subtle. Uh, so I was, I'm, I'm doing my... And that does take more skill, John. Let's just be honest. Doesn't no, that take it, more skill? No, it's not... Well, no? no, it's not skill so much. Because I, I love throwing it's, ass cans at the wall. I love swearing and, and shocking yeah. people. But at the same time, I admire jokes that aren't ass cans more. It's not, it's not skill. It's diligence. Yeah. It's knowing you... You know, uh, the money is in clean. That's where the money is. Yeah. You want to you want to make Corporates. money? Yeah, that's where the Boats. money is. Yeah. So So anyway, I'm doing my set and I uh, I'm doing a joke and I think about the IT joke and it suddenly occurs to me, "Oh my god. I can do that joke tonight. I can try it out right after I do the that is not happening joke later on in the show." So I've got, in 20 minutes, I've got this spot in the show uh, that I can do that joke. Oh, my God, I can do that fucking joke. So, <laughs> so the rest of the show, I'm just moving from bit to bit going, I can't wait till I get to that ID joke, man. And I do it, and I do it wrong. Oh, shit. I said, instead of saying, did you try turning her off and then turning her on again, I said, did you try turning her on and then turning her off again? But... Um, that instruction is so universal now, power off, power on, turn it off, turn it on again, that they get what I'm going for, and it does okay. And the second show, I do it perfectly, and it kills. Bang. Wow. So then I know it works. So now I know I have a joke off the top that works in the technology set and a joke in the middle that works, or, yeah, in the middle. And uh, so now all I have to do is um, now all I have to do is sort of uh, go up and try it a few times. And I've got, I'm going to try, I hope I'm going to try it Sunday night in the story show and see where the, so I'll, I'll try it tonight, I'll try it tomorrow night, see where the beats are. And by, I hope by tomorrow night, I will have a better idea of where it needs some kick, where I need to put a joke in. Because there are lully parts, right? Parts that they don't get in the laughs that you've got to have exposition for. Uh, or that, that, you, that you're, you're telling part of a story, but you're not getting big laughs. So you want to you put some... Because if you're doing a story, you want it you to get laughs all the way through and then have a big laugh at the Asides. end. Asides. Is that what they call them? Asides. Yeah, you can call them that. But, but, but all you're trying to do is you're trying to find... Like last night, I forgot to do targeted advertising. Okay. Because... One, um, I want to try do a thing about the microphone didn't work on my phone. That's what the story's about. So, um, so they, the government couldn't hear me talking, and advertisers couldn't hear me talking about products I like. Um, and I and I wrote this joke about how have you noticed when you buy when you buy a product online, uh, they immediately send you ads for similar products or the same product. It's like you bought a coffee maker. Obviously, you need one for every room in your house. Why yeah. not buy 10 more, <laughs> right? 
I just bought this. Where are you sending <clears throat> me an ad for it? So I, I, I forgot to do all of that last night. That was the big part. And in the, in the opening bit, I forgot to do this other thing. I forgot to do the, the point. So, so both bits, first attempt, both worked. Uh, but I forgot uh, sections of them that I really want to try, and I know will work, or I think will work. Well, the targeted advertising, I'm, I'm not sure yet. It's too wordy. 99 times out of 10, you start a bit, you do it on stage, it's way too wordy. And, and the stage experience allows you to cut it down to its bone to where you can just get right to the joke each time. And here's the joke, and here's the joke, and here's the joke, and here's the joke. And then when you get it to a place where you're, it's, it's more lean and it's, it's, it's got its beats right, then you can start screwing around with stuff you think of while you're doing it. Because the first, I don't know, 20 or 30 times you do it, you're going to, and, and even occasionally afterwards, forever you're going to think of stuff you're going to be up there and you're going to go oh what about this what about that while you're doing it and so and that might bring it to a different you might be able to go off in another little tangent tributary and come back to the main river sort of thing right so so that's what it's about now it's about uh, uh putting this what, what it looks like it's about between 10 and 15 minutes of new material and how do i get it clean how do I do that opening thing about political correctness on a ship? I know I can do the technology story on a ship. How do I do the political correctness story? Because you got to open with that. It's a bit that's that's written specifically for opening the show. And I also want to talk about hate. And I, So I've got my topic now for what I know I want to talk about. Um, but I don't know how to talk about hate yet and make it funny. You do, you do, it is very apparent from talking to you that you are very much a writer. I mean. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know. I am a writer. And, and it's, that is your trade and your craft. It is, absolutely. It is, yeah. And it's so fascinating for me because I talk to comics every day, but I don't see anyone really, I, I, I'm going to say it, I mean, I feel like you're kind of borderline obsessed with the with the the process and what are you going to put here and what are you going to do there, and I think that really shows when you do a sh a show on stage because you're very polished, you know, like it's it's uh, great for a, a sort of part timer like me to watch a professional on stage. Um, is there anyone that you ever looked at like sure. that and gone, Jesus, like I I can't Absolutely. imagine that next level because um, there's always a next level for guys, isn't there? Well, yeah. Um, have you seen the Hannah Gadsby thing on yes. Netflix? Oh, good for you. Yeah. So many guys have it. It's nutty. <laughs> uh, I, I just, uh, I mean, yeah, I felt a little bad after watching that show because I have a daughter and sister and a mother, and um, I just never thought of life that way mm, before. Tar, yeah. But I, I, but see, everybody was like, oh, it's like a TED Talk. I like TED Talks. No, it isn't like a TED Talk. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, part of it is. But, but but I like hearing people's stories. I mean, I guess that's why I got into this. But, right. you know, I, I liked hearing about her experience, although at the same time it was a very emotional roller coaster, and it brought up a lot of good points about how men behave. But until the last really 10 minutes or so, it's a comedy show. Yeah. And even though yeah, lots she's of laughs. explaining comedy. Yeah. At a point. It's a total paradigm shifter, that show. And yeah. her new show, apparently. My wife and daughter saw it in L.A. Uh, 
it's called Douglas. It'll be on Netflix in the next few months. Cool. Um, but it's a, par- it's a total paradigm shift. Uncle Dirty, who uh, died a couple of years ago in his 80s, was a comic out of New York, made a lot of money in the late 60s, had an album, and disappeared for five years, went around the world, you know. Um, and uh, he said to me in the early 80s, he said, the ones who become successful in this in comedy in the future will be the ones who get the closest to their own bone. That makes sense to me. And uh, Bill Burr's new special is an excellent example. Paper Tiger, yeah. It's really good. I've I love it. I've seen it twice now. Yeah. Um, I like Derek Edwards a lot because he is... Uh, do you know Derek? you know who he is? I... Yes. He's kind of a god for yeah, people that came up with my right. crew. He, he hasn't done a lot of TV, and he's not well-known outside of Canada, but he is uh, he is a master wordsmith. Just He, he just... You, you look at finding the right word, and sometimes you find the right word uh, naturally. It, it, it flows into... Like, like, I'll tell you the joke that started this bit that I keep mentioning, but then realizing I'm not talking about the right bit. I do this opening now. I did it last night for the first time uh, about political correctness and how you take a, you must take a poll of the audience to start the show to make sure you're not going to offend anybody. And this is the idea that I started with. And I'm lying in bed one night and I'm trying to go through how many different groups you could talk to you could question, like, do we have any of these people here? Do we have any of those people here? Do we have any of them? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I came up with, uh, do you have any Brexit people? Any Brexit people in the audience? Okay, <laughs> and you make a check mark and you go, any Wexit people? Wexit? Oh, Wexit? Wexit. Uh, and then Quebexit? Quebexit, nice. And as soon as I thought of Quebexit, uh, uh, that's the joke. Right Perfect. There, right yeah. there. That's the joke. Yeah. So uh, for that's a lot the of garnish reasons, on the plate, baby. Right. That's the full course. For a lot of reasons, one being you got the K. They all have the K. Yeah. Sound. K is a funny K sound in comedy. Sound. Yeah. K is the sound you want. Uh, Derek is a genius at the K. Um, what, what, why? Why keepsake is funnier than memento? It's like that. Um, but uh, so there's Derek, Mike Wilmot. I think is brilliant. Pretty much. A we used to hang with Derek quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I've never seen Mike. I've seen him five times, maybe. Yeah. I've never seen him repeat a joke. So every time I see him, I see fifteen to thirty minutes of stuff I've never seen, and you and, and I don't kills. see him that often. Yeah. But you just go, uh, where does he come up with this? Because he's always, you know, Mike. There's, it's like the kid at school who got 98 or 99 on every test, Craig was my kid, a kid at our school. And Tracy, Craig and Tracy always got 99 or 100 or 98 on the test. <laughs> and if Craig got 97, he'd walk around with the test going, I can't believe how stupid I was to miss this and only get 97. Right? It's never good enough. So you, when you were studying for the test the night before, you would want to stop and then you would realize, fuck, man. Craig is still studying that prick, that son of a bitch. I know he's still studying. Ah! <laughs> and uh, so Mike Wilmot is that guy for me. Yeah. Um, Bill Burr's really good. I don't watch 
Oh, I, I like the, all of the Chappelle specials. The every one look, about, every one you're citing is the it, one about OJ. The O, the, I, I don't know what it's called, but it has. What? I met OJ four times. Four, yeah. How he opens the special. Yes, it is the brilliant. best constructed comedy hour I've ever seen. It really, it really um, is because yeah. bringing you back. Brilliant. For part two and part three and part four, Brilliant. there's a through line. It mm-hmm. keeps you so interested from beginning to end. It's like bookends, isn't it? Amazing. Everyone yeah. that you've mentioned, of course, are my heroes. Like, wow, amazing. Uh, and I had the great privilege of, of meeting Mike and Derek. And when I met Derek Edwards, um, I just want to selfishly tell you this story because I know you'll appreciate it. Okay. There's me and the people I came up with. Maybe you know them, Brett Martin and Matt Billen and those guys. And we're, sure. we're all at a table, right? And we're in uh, the Blackfoot Inn in Calgary. And we are the young guns of comedy. We can each do, I don't want to brag, 10 to 15 minutes <laughs> of barely passable, barely watchable <laughs> comedy, right? So get ready to live when you see us, right? So we're like the goddamn poor man's rat pack in the corner, right? And uh, Derek Edwards is about to go on stage, and he comes on, he gets a standing ovation, then he comes off after his hour, and he goes, young guns, I'm among greatness. And then he wipes his eye like that and keeps walking. (laughs) Wipes away a tear. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, amazing. And, I mean, but to us, John, when you were on that stage at the Blackfoot Inn uh, and different stages that I've seen you on across Canada – you were you had a big shadow as big as those guys to us. You know what I mean? Like it was well, and I know that there are people that probably you look at still today and go, "Wow, like that's the next level." Like you mentioned the writing of of uh, Mike Wilmont and others. Um, the next level is always uh, Is that perceived or do you really think it's no, the next level? No, it's about I mean I, just keep improving. Just keep writing just keep getting better because there's going to come a time when that stops happening and once you stop you start well if you haven't already you start to die as an artist and uh, every year i have to stuff my head full of what's going on in the world and all that other shit not that i talk about it much but but i got to know about it so i can reference it if i need to i got to know what's going on and, and every year when you come to that point, you think, I don't want to do that. I, I'm, my head's already full of stuff. I don't want to fucking put anything more in my head. I don't want to go to prison for the rest of my life, bro. Um, so, uh, but you have to, because as soon as you don't do it, you're late, you know, you stop, you stop, uh, what's the word, expanding? You stop growing, growing as an artist. And I mean, it, at 60, it's probably true that uh, my best artistic achievements are behind me, but maybe not. Maybe if I keep working at it, maybe maybe I can do more. But you have to change. Like, one of the things I wanted to talk about on stage, and it's not going to be easy, but I said I want to talk about hate. I don't understand how much hate there is at the moment. Uh, for nothing. I understand certain types of hate, but I don't understand, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau, bit of a lightweight, sure, uh, made some mistakes, absolutely. But hate, I don't get it. Why would I poison myself hating a guy like that, who isn't really, I mean, the guy who raped my sister, sure, I'll hate him. The guy 
who, uh, you know, Hitler, sure, I can hate him, no problem. But some, some fucking nobody uh, who's prime minister of Canada, who, who uh, does his best and, and, and fails like, like the rest of us, uh, whatever it is, 40% of the time. I gotta hate him too. What the? F- it's bullshit, right? Not funny. It's exa- not funny. It's exhausting. It's exhausting, but it isn't funny yet. But but there's passion there, right? There's a but topic. That's the thing. There's, there's a, a topic. topic. There's something I like talking about. I can talk about it in my voice, etc., etc., etc. Now, where we, I was making a point that I went off on, um, which is another problem I have. So, um, <laughs> start growing as an artist. You want to talk about something? The uh, oh, political correctness. Everyone says political correctness. It's ruining comedy, and it's it's complete bullshit. Uh, what you can talk about is changing, but it's always been changing. Uh, uh, it's always changed. It will. It, it goes back. It goes forward. It goes back. It goes forward. It just changes. Um, uh, if if you're really pissed off that political correctness is changing, is is changing. Uh, ruining it then you're you've stopped growing as an artist you don't want to do it anymore you don't want to you don't want to embrace a new way all these people who tell me they haven't watched hannah gadsby's special and you're a professional comic and this is someone uh, from tasmania from tasmania who has changed the paradigm of your craft and you don't want to fucking watch it what is your problem you know what is your fucking problem so there's that <laughs> Um, so if I'm going to continue to grow, I have to go with, and, and this is the other difficulty with me is I work predominantly for audiences my age. Now I don't work with audiences who are younger that often I can, but I generally don't. Um, so, but even so, even so I must be prepared to work for those people and I must have in my head what's going on to work for those people. And I, and if I have to be political, what's wrong with being politically correct for fuck's sake? All we're saying is the, uh, that the, um, that we're, we really are trying hard not to hurt people's feelings. That's what we're saying. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and, and, and in thinking about it seriously, I've come up with a whole new opening in my act. So, so it's not ruining comedy at all. It's improving it for the times we live in. And you live in your times. And if, you're, if, if you stay in the time when you were happiest, then you stop being an artist. And you, you, you grow old. And you're still in that time where you were happy. You're still Bobby Vinton singing Roses Are Red till you're 90 years old or whatever yeah. the fuck that is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I don't want to do that. I want to keep growing. Yeah, there's there's logic to it, and certainly um, it is an issue that is only an issue when people get upset, I suppose. You can't post any of this, by the way. You can't put this on the Internet because people will kill me for saying it. <laughs> <laughs> they, but they will not cancel you, which is the, is an important distinction. I I'm upset about the Mike Ward thing. And I'm upset only because... Mike Ward got sued? I don't agree. Is that the guy who got sued and... Twice. Well, no, he got sued once by something I didn't even know existed, the Human Rights Tribunal. No idea that organization existed. I was under the impression that you could... And this is very important to hear this full sentence because I'll be cancelled halfway through this sentence. 
I thought you could go on stage and say whatever you want and maybe get booed and maybe get things thrown at you and maybe not be invited back. And I agree with all of that being fair game. What I don't agree with is any kind of legal action. I don't agree with suing the man. I don't agree with any of that stuff. So that's where I stand on it, right? But you'll never catch me saying, you know, Hannah Gatsby isn't a comedian or something like that, right? Like, I don't, I don't agree with that. She is a comedian. She is a comedian. Uh, and her special is important. And um, her message is even more important. But, and I, like, I'm a feminist, and that's not the most popular thing to say, but I just, I think people should be treated equally. But I don't think that when someone is making an attempt to entertain and they fail that they should be persecuted. And I, and I I just wondered what your thoughts were on that. Specifically, talking about Mike Ward. I mean, he was mocking uh, a terminally ill child. And I mean, that's not cool. But at the same time, should he be fined $35,000 that the judge ordered him to pay, or 38000 I forget the exact number. Was there a terminally ill child in the audience? Well, arguably, because, you know, it was televised or something like that. I don't know. Hmm. Um, but it is on topic. I mean, we were talking about... Yeah, you, you know, I don't know. Uh, uh, tough. You could feel bad for both sides of that. Yeah. Uh, it's One has a difficult time suggesting that, uh, to me, believing that someone should pay a lot of money for hurting someone else's feelings. Right. Uh but um, but the point is is not to offend your audience. The point is to make them laugh. And if you if you offend them, you have failed. Right. It's fail like you said, failure. They don't laugh. They boo you. You don't get invited back. Uh, those seem to be pretty good consequences. Up yeah. Yeah, like I can't tell. But it'll come back. See, that's the other thing. Yeah. Yes, it, it goes to an extreme now, but the extreme, it also went to an extreme in the 60s with Lenny. Bill Burr cited it as an overcorrection. People yeah. are outraged. When they get together in a group, they go, no, 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 and they ban something or overcorrect, yeah, yeah. and then they come back. Yeah. But this is a natural uh, ebb and flow of, of uh, what's happening with speech, and speech uh, goes to a, to a certain extreme one way, and then, then there's a correction that goes back the other way. Um, uh, you know, okay, I did a joke for years, an Alzheimer's joke. Did it for years, at least a decade on a show. I did it on The Tonight Show. I did it on, a, I did it on ships for at least a decade. And one night, it got 15 complaints. And it had never gotten a single complaint up until that night. And I never did it again. Ever. And that was an easy decision for you? I don't know about easy, but it was necessary. Gotcha. And and, and the, 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 the audience was telling me, don't do that joke anymore. And and my job was on the line, too, right? If, I, if you keep doing it. I did a joke. Uh, I had a joke about um, the doctor asking me, 50s uh, do you masturbate a lot and I said yes and he said 
good, it's good for you. And I said, it's good for me. He said, yeah, it, it helps your prostate. And I said, could you write me a note? That was a joke I used to do. <laughs> and I was doing a clean club in Erie, Pennsylvania, that I really liked to play. And the owner asked me not to do that joke because it was too dirty. And he was in the room a couple of nights later, and I did it. And I never worked there again. Consequences, right? Yeah. So uh, uh, you just got to, uh, if you're going to do something like that, you got to accept that there are going to be consequences. For in Mike's case, I'm sure he didn't believe the consequences would go as far as they did. But... Uh, that's interesting to me that you would make that decision because I, as someone who knows how hard it is to come up with really great jokes, or you know, it. So to it just was drop more one. of a reflex, I got to that yeah. point in the show where the joke always went, mm. and I did it instinctively. That's probably what happened, but still broke. He asked me not to break the rule. I broke the rule. You know, that's the way it is. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Um, I have this joke. I never thought of it that way. I didn't do it last night. I, a bit I wrote about um, having a biopsy. And um, uh, I was trying to phrase... I still hadn't decided on the final phrasing of the opening of it. The main thrust of the topic sentence. Which is... Um, now it is, is it me or did my body come in the box with a whole bunch of parts I didn't actually need? That's the idea of it. And one night on a ship, I was on the ship for eight straight weeks, a year and a half ago. One night, I was doing my show, and I still hadn't, I was not sure of the phrasing of that bit. And I said, is it me or did my body come in the box with a whole lot of shit I didn't actually need. And after the show, the uh, production manager who runs the shows came up to me and said, uh, did you say shit in the show? You said shit, didn't you? And I said, yes, I did. I'm so sorry. And they didn't get any complaints because the audience liked me. Uh, but it, that's why you have to be careful even a little thing like that can get you fired. And, and whether it's fair or unfair is not the point. That's not the point. The point is, are you a professional? That's the point, right? Uh, and a professional uh, either doesn't make that mistake or takes the consequences when the mistake is made. Those are the two things, right? There's only two rules in this whole damn job. Be on time, do your time. Only two rules. Be on time, do your time. That's it. That's it. It's the easiest rule grouping of a job there is. I'm nodding and smiling because so, I, I couldn't agree more. So that's all it is, right? So uh, great. I made that mistake. I never made it again. So if you make a mistake, don't make it a second time. That's all. Well, that's got, how you become a professional. Five or six shows coming up yeah. in Ottawa. So I'll do the new bit tonight and tomorrow. And I'll, then I'll have a, a, about a week, week and a half break. I might, do a, I might do an open mic or two in Toronto, see what I can do with it. Where, where can people find you, find your books, find oh, your tour dates? my books are on Amazon. Yikes. Uh, John Wing. Go to my Facebook fan page, which I don't 
really do much on, but okay, it's there. I'll, if you message me on the Facebook fan book page, I will message you. Um, I'm uh, at JohnWing5 on Twitter. Um, yes, please follow me on Twitter. I need more followers. At uh, JohnWing5? Yep, at JohnWing5. And I have a blue check mark because I was on America's Got Talent. And boy, does that piss people off. <laughs> yeah, um, because you're official? Is that what it is? Well, that's the... You know, verified account. Right, verified. Oh, Twitter, you're verified. Twitter doesn't... Uh, doesn't do that for Well, everybody. I didn't realize I would have been much more nervous if I knew I was talking to a verified person. No, no, no. Twitter doesn't. Uh, doesn't uh, <laughs> I'm so glad you told me that at the end of the interview. People who argue with me a lot, <laughs> people who don't like my political opinions, will say, uh, I don't know, how did somebody who's totally unknown like you get verified? You're an idiot, you know. So, uh, <laughs> Sounds like you got nice friends there in L.A., John. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not my friends. They're just people arguing with me on Twitter. John but, Wing. Uh, uh, hey, I'm going to the Leaf game on Wednesday. <laughs> Go, let's go. John Wing, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for talking to me today. It's an absolute prejudice. You're fired. <laughs> You're out of here. You can't say the wrong word. Thank you so much. Thanks, man.